This is a Clock Shelves Podcast Network production. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and I am joined today by three great friends of mine. They've all been here pretty much since the beginning. Um, I like to jokingly refer to us as kind of the core four guys of our friend group. So why don't you guys go ahead and reintroduce yourselves? Hey, Paul. Nice to be back. It's Kevin Zane, Powerhouse Podcasting, which I guess makes me the thing of this fantastic four. (laughs) Hey, everyone. It's Jake Wolken. Hey, everyone. It's Estelan. Welcome back, guys. We are here for an episode today that um, we were talking very briefly before we actually started. Not necessarily the best episode. It raises one very good question, in my opinion, kind of towards the the end. But um, we're here for the episode Sundown. And I think this is the first one in season six. And it's been talked about a little on the the last few episodes of the podcast. The fact that um, a lot of these titles and main characters of episodes kind of uh, resembles what they were in the first season. And although this one also has sun in it, this is actually a Saeed episode. And we were talking about how not necessarily the greatest episode, and I have to concur with that. Yeah, definitely not the best episode, but uh, on the flip side of that, it was kind of a revelation for me. And I, I won't give it in, away right now, but as we uh, go on with the episode, I'll, I'll, I started off thinking one thing and then I, I kind of, by the time I was done with my rewatch and taking notes and everything, I, I kind of switched sides to the other thing. So, Interesting, interesting. Um, but do we want to just jump right into Sundown? I'm ready. All Let's right, go. here we go. We start out in a cab with Saeed. He's waiting to get out, and the driver reminds him that he's going to keep paying until he actually gets out of the car. And Saeed hands him some money and leaves. He has flowers and goes to the front door, which Nadia answers. After they briefly greet each other, two children come up, one of them calling him Uncle Saeed. He explains that he was away in Sydney, which is in Australia. Saeed's brother shows up and mentions that Saeed brought flowers for his, the brother's, wife, Nadia. Nadia is married to Saeed's brother in this timeline, but Saeed and Nadia exchange an awkward glance. Saeed jokes that he'll give them to the brother before they actually exchange hellos and move further into the house. A moment later, the children are asking what Saeed brought them from Australia, and he instructs them to go looking into his bag. This is his way of distracting the kids so that the adults can talk. Nadia mentions all of his exotic trips, but he argues that he's just translating oil contracts and it's not exotic at all. His brother mentions how his own business, dry cleaning, is not at all exotic either, but Nadia comments how they've just opened a new store. Saeed's brother then gets a call on his cell phone. He and Nadia bicker about cell phones at dinner, but he takes the phone call into another room. This leaves Nadia and Saeed to discuss the letters that she apparently sent to Saeed, but Saeed never replied to. But the kids return carrying boomerangs that Saeed brought them and mention having found a picture of Nadia, their mother, in their uncle's bag. Saeed and Nadia are embarrassed, but Saeed's brother, who's heard this last part, seems slightly upset. My opinion in this is the biggest revelation is that in the sideways, where most everybody seemed to be getting at least something they slightly want, 
Saeed is not married to Nadia, but she instead <coughs> is married to Saeed's brother. And I don't know about you guys, but that um, seems a little odd to me. What do you think, Kev? Well, first of all, that was a whole lot of words for the flash sideways, which ultimately I think is very inconsequential. You guys can feel free to agree, disagree. But when you go back and watch this, I'm almost like kind of half paying attention through any sideways scene because it gets to where it needs to get to, obviously. But all this stuff, it just kind of it doesn't matter to me when I'm doing a rewatch. It mattered because you didn't know what was going on when you first watched it. But now it's kind of like, eh, whatever. But uh, to answer your question, uh, you brought up in a previous episode how, like, Rose still has cancer, and Locke is still in a wheelchair, even though there's really no reason for him to be. Uh, The Sideways was a way of testing oneself. In, In your theory, I believe that's what you said, right, Paul? Um... Something along those lines, yeah. Okay, and so for me, this is kind of Saeed's way of, of testing himself while also trying to give Nadia a better life. I assume he believes his brother to be a good man. He wants to see Nadia with a good man. And ultimately, he kind of knew, uh, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, how things were going to end up if she was with him. So that that's the reflection that I got of her being with his brother. Other than the the writers really just trying to mess with us with an ultimately inconsequential flash sideways. Yeah, I would agree. And you can see that that Nadia still has feelings for Saeed and then Saeed still has feelings for Nadia. And I think we it was talked about earlier in one of the episodes, just the flash sideways that is just kind of their way to either try to be better, make amends or just straighten things out. And, and then to go with what Kevin said. Yeah, it was Saeed trying at, you know, thinking, hey, he's not a good enough person. So he, you know, pushed Nadia away. But um, maybe that the, that was the sideways purpose for him was to try to come with terms of that. Maybe he is a good person, a good enough person for Nadia. And yeah. also, sorry, I'm going to let Esteban go. No, no, I just wanted to point out, I mean, for me, I feel very conflicted with this episode because um, I actually got very excited because I have fun memories about this episode whenever I watched it for the first time. And it always seems to me like it was such an exciting episode. But, you know, as soon as it started, it seemed like very blah, like this whole um, flash sideways scene. It's very mad to me. I mean, it it. it First of all, I was expecting a Sun and Jin centric episode, as we mentioned at the beginning. And, you know, I, I got a little bit disappointed by that. And this whole scene, I just, I guess I've never been really invested in Saeed's character. And I always think that the people surrounding Saeed are a little bit more interesting than Saeed himself. Um, like, I find Nadia's story very compelling, very interesting. The crazy cat lady that tortured him, I, I found her. <laughs> You know, very interesting. Like all the characters surrounding Saeed, I find them a little bit more interesting than Saeed himself. So I was a little bit disappointed with, by the way the episode started, you know, after God knows how many rewatches I've done. But yeah, this one, it didn't really click for me from the beginning. 
And also one more thing is that I had always been on Team Nadia and said that it should have been her and the church with Saeed at the end. But mm-hmm. seeing the way it turned out here, uh, you know, I kind of understand the way they did it. Like she's with his brother, so it's going to be Shannon in the end. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, there is that whole Nadia Shannon thing, which is the question that I think this episode raises um, a little earlier or well, a little later, I guess. But um, it's funny, Kev, that you said about how the sideways are inconsequential. And that's kind of something that has been discussed as well over the last uh, few episodes of the podcast is that with regards to the sideways, it all makes sense as long as you don't think about it too much. The moment you basically start to apply any sort of logic or reason to anything, a lot of it just falls apart. That's an opinion I share. I know um, our friend Andy kind of shares the same opinion and some other people do as well. But I guess another thing is it kind of comes down to is that, and it's that, that question of is the sideways just them or is that the real Nadia? I'm not necessarily saying we, you know, whether we do or don't want to get into that is a is a totally different thing. But I think part of it is, like you know, you said, Kev, you think that he kind of set this up so that Nadia is with a good man, which is his brother. But it's just a thing of is that the real Nadia or isn't it? You know what I mean? I I know exactly what you're saying, and I was going to bring it up just a little later when we get into some of the other characters that we see in the sideways. Okay. <laughs> Um, back on the island, Saeed is going through the temple towards Dogen's little office area thing. He wants answers about what was done to him, the torture that Dogen put him through. Saeed remembers it being referred to as a test. Dogen tells him that in everyone there is a scale, good and evil. The machine thing tells them which side the person's internal scale tips to. Saeed and Dogen then talk about how Dogen believes it would be better if Saeed were dead because his internal scale tips to the evil side. But Saeed argues that he is a good man. Dogen, however, starts fighting with Saeed, and it ends with Saeed having a knife to his throat, to his own throat. Dogen has the knife. Uh, However, Dogen notices that the baseball that was on his desk has fallen to the floor. Dogen lets Saeed go and tells him to leave and never come back. And, I mean, the baseball has kind of been a thing for the last few episodes now. Um, always good to see a fight scene. Jake, I know this is kind of your big thing is the fight scenes. What would you think? That's, that's my note. Love me a good fight. <laughs> and it was. It was a good fight scene. It was. But uh, he, he references the, the test that he put him through. I think it was uh, in LAX, right? Um, or no, it would be the, the episode after that once he comes back to life because he comes back to life in LAX. Um, I, it's funny because I, re, I tend to remember the earlier seasons a lot better than I remember season six. It's probably because whenever I did a, a rewatch leading up to a new season about to air, you know, I've seen uh, seasons one, two, three, even four, maybe five, uh, probably close to double digit times. When it came to season six, I've only seen these episodes maybe once, twice, three times max, probably, uh, prior to doing this rewatch, that is. So uh, my memory is better for the older episodes than it is for the more recent ones. I get that. So, yeah. I um, Even though they're the ones I remember watching live and everything, it, my memory was kind of uh, askew because I was thinking, Saeed, was he ever really dead was it more like uh, a thing with Charlie in season one where Jack was just 
you know, went back to doing the CPR and pounded on his chest and brought him back to life. No, he was really dead for about two hours. And they make a point to say that later uh, with Miles. So that was that was a little jogging of my memory uh, here because uh, I was always kind of of the belief that oh, he wasn't really dead. He just kind of came back to life like Charlie did. But now I see there is a bit of a deeper mythology to it. So personally, that was just a little revelation for me. But it's it's funny because, like, I feel the way that it's portrayed in the you know basically between the end of season five into the beginning of season six it is portrayed that way where you think that it's only a few minutes you know they put him in the pool they you know he seems to drown they set him down but then because everything else happens like they cut away from that you don't necessarily think because it's not very often that they talk about how much time passes on anything regarding the show unless they specifically wanted to say oh, it's been 30 years or, oh, it's been three years. Because think about it. It took, I mean, at least me personally, it took me a very long time to grasp the concept that the first three seasons or four seasons, the on-island stuff takes place over the course of only a few months because they don't reference it that often. So time on the island, as much as it's, you know, joked that it doesn't exist or whatever, and like in the sideways, it doesn't exist. They don't really portray it that well until they reference it later on, like the line that Miles says later. Yeah, exactly. It's just one little throwaway line. And, and that being the case, it kind of makes me think like putting him through the test. I do think that was a, all kind of nonsense of Dogen, you know, testing the scale of good and evil, whatever. I really just think they were trying to determine whether he had actually become the man in black somehow. You know what I mean? Like, because you can't hurt him, you can't shoot him, you can't stab him. So they were putting him through this torture to see, oh, he, you know, it actually is hurting him. That's right. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Yeah. Very nice. I didn't think well, about that, but I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it was mostly like an excuse to say, well, you know, we ran a test. It's not like we're just, you know, coming up with stuff here just to kill you or get rid of you. I think that they needed to put him through the test. Um, but playing devil's advocate here let's say that the test actually yields some sort of result so i'm thinking and that's only that's the only thing that i wrote about this scene is like what did saeed or why did saeed scale tipped the wrong way um was it just because he had had like bad actions in the past like recently because he just shot for example you know young ben linus or is it just tipping in the wrong direction just because he has been, you know, revived by the evil in the island? So it, it, it seems to me like it could go either way. It could actually be a test or it could actually just be Dogen bluffing. Well, if it's the test of what they've all done, then in theory, now granted, you know, he not counting the fact that they time traveled. He did recently just shoot young Ben Linus by how much they've experienced things. Because if you were to go with how things are just in general, uh, Sawyer, who they still referred to as Ford because he's still on the list and he still is a candidate, he his scale should tip more towards evil as well by going by that theory, right? Right, but he hasn't been you know, put to the test. So there wouldn't be any way to you know, accurately determine that. Right. Yeah, and not only that, it's it, it kind of uh, harkens back to when Ben was put in that in that same fountain. Are we calling it a fountain, pool, whatever? Spring. I have it. Ri- I have it written as spring pool. All sorts of stuff in my notes. 
when Ben was put in that water, he was essentially. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he, uh, they essentially said like he's going to come out different, and you got to think kind of the same thing for Saeed, and and uh, it's going to kind of accentuate those things inside you, I assume. And Saeed, sure, he's done good, but he's also done very bad. Same thing with Ben; he was also leaning towards bad. So it's going to, I think, it's going to kind of uh, accentuate those probably negative qualities, especially now that the water has turned uh, dark. Yeah. I love you guys laughing at how he says that. <laughs> I'm used to not, not just because I've known Kev for a while, but just because we live relatively close. So I totally get it. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> outside the temple, Locke and Claire are standing just outside of the uh, circle of ash, which surrounds the temple they talk about Claire getting ready to go inside but, uh, because Locke can't do it himself. Uh, Claire is doing it because she wants her son back and also questions if Locke is going to hurt those inside the temple. He says that he'll only hurt those that don't listen. Now, um, Esteban, I know you are not the biggest Claire fan, so seeing as this is your first time on season six, I got to ask, what are your thoughts on this sort of Rousseau-esque Claire and just kind of her transformation? Um, well, I, I was very, you know, uh, torn at the beginning of season six because this, I guess, was not the Claire that we were all expecting. However, I was excited to see Claire again because she completely missed out on season five. So seeing her back on the show, it, it was awesome. And um, I actually... I've come to like this new Claire, this crazy, hasn't showered in ages, <laughs> Coco for Coco Pot, or whatever you say it, Claire. Um, and I like the fact that it almost seems like it's coming full circle. It's, she's basically repeating her story, or Rousseau's story, rather. Um, you know, she, she lost her child, and she has gone crazy over it. Um, and it seems to me that it's a nice throwback that the, I guess the writers wanted to include there. And, you know, it's just a mother who has gone crazy because, you know, she lost her son. And in fact, it doesn't really matter who took her son, as we see later in this episode. You know, she she's clearly upset, but we'll get to that scene later. Um, you know, she just wanted her kid. For me, uh, Claire really stood out in this episode. I really liked the, the, the couple scenes she was in. Uh, I think they were very well acted. And uh, I, I, again, yeah, like Esteban said, I didn't come into this season thinking much of her, but I really appreciated uh, the character and the performance uh, by the end of this episode. Yeah, I think that this is the first time this season that we actually get to appreciate Crazy Claire because before we were a little bit, you know, like, oh, put off by it. Like, what is going on here? Is this something that I'm supposed to be believing? Is this something that I'm supposed to be enjoying? But I think this is the very first time this season, and I think the credit is, um, you know, credit where credit is due. Emily uh, did a great, um, you know, job this with this performance, with this particular performance this season. Is it Emily? Yes. 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 So, yeah, I think this is a standout for her. I feel like this is probably the episode where we get to see, I don't want to say the most of her, because we definitely got to see more of her in previous episodes, but that was more 
supposed to be jarring us versus here we actually get to see her as almost a minion of the man in black you know she's you know she's still like she sings this song a little later and we'll get to that and whatever but like she's it seems like now she actually has a purpose versus in the you know the first time we see her she's just holding the gun the next time we see her she's like torturing an other and then she just keeps saying like oh my friend this and my friend that and whatever but i feel like this is kind of the first episode of this new version of claire that we actually get to like see her and maybe try to realize what her deal is and that's where i was going with it too because i'm very anti-claire even by the end of the series but uh it's good to see her, you know, definitely in season six, these beginning episodes, because, of course, you do wonder what the heck's been going on with her. She did, you know, leave under mysterious circumstances. But as you mentioned, too, this was the first episode where it was almost like she had a purpose. And so, you know, I was right. You know, Emily did a fantastic job uh, acting it out, too. And so I think it was bearable. Claire was bearable this episode. <laughs> and I also want to add to that, that, you know, coming again with the whole full circle um, or like the resemblance without with both Rousseau's and Claire's story. I feel, and this is linked to my dislike for season six, because even though I love how the show ended season six is by far my least favorite season of the entire show. Um, mostly because it seemed to me that they did some, Injustice or injustice to some of the characters. And I think Claire deserved probably a centric episode this season to sort of explain what had happened to her the last, what was it, six, seven years that the others, you know, like Sawyer and Juliet spent with the others. And I'm guessing that she stayed in present time island. And I mean, we don't, we don't, I guess we don't really need to know what happened to her, but it would have been nice to give her a centric episode, uh, a centric episode. Um, and it seems to me like they did the same treatment with uh, Danielle. You know, they just got rid of her just like that, even though it had been a beloved character, in my opinion, who had been there. It was a constant character since season one. It's but so... even then with Danielle, they even gave her a little bit of centric. They, you know, it was obviously mixed in with Jin's time traveling stories. But, you know, you did get to see finally what Danielle had been explaining through the earlier seasons. So, and I can't believe I'm saying this again. I would agree with Esteban that <laughs> I I would have loved to see a little bit more of Claire's, you know, the, the few years that we didn't get to see. Though, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't all that exciting. But from a mythology standpoint, too, obviously she spent a lot of that time with the man in black. Mm -hmm. So then you would have probably got to see more of that because of it. And so I would have been definitely okay with seeing that. It's nice to see that you're coming to your senses, Jake. It, it, it's <laughs> a nice color on me? you. It's a nice color on you. I think I got too much sleep. And let me just say uh, before we move on, I do like the idea uh, in theory of a Claire centric episode. I think it would have been uh, pretty cool to see. However, I thought the same about Richard and we know how that ended up. Yep. Uh, the only see the only thing I would necessarily want from a Claire centric episode would be how she knows instantly that the man in black is the man in black. At one point in uh, in the, I think it's the episode prior to this, she mentions the difference between her father and uh, her friend. But then later on, she, I, I'm pretty sure in, uh, she mentions how she knew that they were the same person. But when John walks into the into her tent or into her little camp area, 
she immediately knows that he's her friend, AKA the man in black. So kind of how does she see beyond whatever form he's taking? That's kind of the only thing I would like, but I do find it incredibly funny because you guys join kind of everybody else so far. I think that's been on this, uh, this season talking about how this is kind of the least favorite of most people or very much up there in terms of least favorite seasons, despite the fact that it's the one that I would say, I believe Kev said it earlier that we all remember hundred percent watching live. Cause no matter when you got into the show, if you were watching it live, you were almost definitely for sure watching season six at the very, le- at, yeah, at the very least. But it's funny how almost everybody universally says that this is not their favorite season. <laughs> And well, I would for a that. lot of the reasons that were explained earlier, you know, they kind of shafted some characters. I think, you know, Saeed was definitely one that got shafted and they just dropped his character development so quick. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's just the overall fan consensus. Season six wasn't the strongest season. And I mean, not to beat a dead horse or anything, but when 50 percent of it, like I said, is pretty much, you know, doesn't matter ultimately. Yeah, I mean. Again, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I think it's a common phenomenon for fandom. You know, whenever you know that the end of the show is approaching, you're actually going to be a little bit more critical because you have high expectations for how you want certain storylines to end. And then when things don't go your way, it's just like, oh, I mean, I'm disappointed because it's not what you were expecting. That being said, I am not 100% convinced that the reason I dislike season six is because how things ended, because I actually love the show's um, final moments and, and how it all came together. I just think that they kept adding more mystery. They kept adding, and I've said it several times throughout the podcast and every episode that I've been on, what I like about the show is that it left certain things unanswered. And that gives us, you know, material to keep talking about the show but there were certain things that seemed to me that were a little bit rushed like for example i don't think i needed to see the temple and what was going on in the temple and i don't think dogan's character needed to be introduced i, I just it seemed too much sometimes less is more and i feel like the season would have you know benefited a lot if they had actually you know given more time to the characters that we already knew instead of adding new ones to the mix agreed Mm-hmm. In the sideways, Saeed is asleep on the couch uh, of his brothers, but he wakes up when his brother reaches to wake him. We find out that it's 2.30 in the morning, but the brother needs help because he's in some sort of trouble. He borrowed money to open the second store, but he borrowed it from a loan shark, basically, not a bank. The brother wants Saeed to convince, using his interrogation skills from the war these men that he doesn't want to, uh, to these men that he doesn't want to pay the money to the brother pleads with him, but Saeed reaffirms that he is not that man anymore. And this kind of goes with what I said earlier. And uh, you commented on Kevin about how it is, you know, it's the same, but it's slightly different. So this is one of those things where, you know, He's he doesn't he still doesn't have Nadia for reasons that we discussed earlier, but he did. He was still in the war. He was still the interrogator and things like that. Yeah. And uh, later in the episode, they say or Saeed says uh, he has 12 years of memories, uh, basically, of, of being a torturer or 12 years since he became that torturer, that man. 
so th- there is obviously some uh, semblance of time involved here in the sideways. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and I do just want to say also that when Saeed first wakes up, uh, it's, it seems very similar, the, the performance of the character at least, uh, to when he comes back to life in LAX uh, with the what happened. And it's if you notice, it's just very similar. So I guess a lot of people made something of that, how he says what happens and what, what he looked like coming out of that state, uh, if you remember uh, the theories in between weeks there. Um, but I think it's really just how... Naveen Andrews is portraying the character coming out of a, a deep sleep. It's pretty similar here. So wait, going back a, a second about something you said, what exactly did you did, did you say about time here on this sideways storyline or whatever? Well, time doesn't exist. You know, like Christian okay. says at the end, how you know there is right. no here and now. And I believe it's I can't remember. One of you guys can refresh my memory. I believe it's like. For some of them, basically, by the time they meet up in the church, it's been like a month or two or a few weeks. But right. yet for like Sun and Jin, it's only like a few hours since they mm-hmm. landed back at LAX or something like that. Like time doesn't exist. But right. like Kev said, there's these 12 years. I personally think that's just the 12 years or whatever amount of time that it actually happened. And he just carried that over just that basic concept of time. Right. I think that it's just, I mean, I agree. It's a complex thing whenever we're dealing with, you know, time in, in the scenarios and, you know, we can refer back to season five, but this is a little bit more complicated because this is a little bit more metaphysical, if you will. I don't think that they all are experiencing time at the same pace, if you will, because I, I you know, and, and I think it's, almost that's the beauty of it because that when christian says there's no here there's no now it means you know how could for example shannon be waiting for so long just to be back with saeed you know it's just whenever he says or when he when he says 12 years i don't think that he actually went through those 12 years maybe he believed he does uh in this sideways realm if you will but i don't think that he actually went through that because they don't go through time at the same time until they actually all meet up together and decide to move on and that's part of the thing is like i talked about it a little bit with uh in the lax episode but and um andy cornforth and i kind of keep going back and forth about it where if you do kind of talk about the sideways too much and break it down too much it all just falls apart because there is the the kind of thing of you know, how does the sideways not, not how does it exist? Because like, I kind of like, I get that, but it's like, when did it start? Did it start the moment that Jack, you know, died, but no, because we also know that Juliet experienced it kind of sort of before that, but yet she experiences something later than, you know, whenever it actually may have happened or what, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just all really weird kind of how things line up. Like I said, when did it start? Did it start when the first person, like when Boone died? So was Boone the only one of the survivors of Oceanic or, you know, of Oceanic 815 there? Or 
did it not start until they all died when, you know, Hurley or whoever died many, many years from then and, you know, whatever. And it's just this whole weird thing of if you actually try to break it down, there's it not only leaves you with more questions, but a lot of the kind of physics of it just does just break down completely. Yeah, that was a hell of a conversation you guys had about that on that episode. So, <laughs> and I cut it. out we some of it, too. It. Holy crap. <laughs> so maybe we should leave it in that episode. <laughs> no, but it's quite interesting. It's it's quite sorry, Kev. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting because I mean anybody who listens to the pod to this podcast and actually hasn't seen whatever the last episode, how can they, you know, listen to these conversations and don't actually think, you know, and think this is show is not good. I mean, it, I don't I can't understand it because we're having a really deep conversation about something that was not explicitly explained in the show and it's something that is you know thought-provoking in my opinion and that's the reason why it might be too deep for some people is that they're just not going to put the effort you know the mental effort at least into uh uh, processing all of this and getting back to the sideways in in time though uh it's it's i liken it to kind of a, like a dream. It's not a dream, clearly. However, uh, you could lay down on the couch and take a half-hour nap. But if you dream during that time, you can live out a full day or more. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, if you think about it like that, it tends to make a little more sense, I guess. Yeah, oh, I get that, yeah. Um, but, it, it, you know, to go along with what you just said, Kev, before that about the fact that, you know, some people just don't want to think about it too deep and whatever, and that's something that Esteban kind of coined very early on in the whole podcast series was the fact that the whole show is kind of that it's just a matter of how deep do you want to get into it do you want to just watch it as a television show great fine do you want to live or not live but um do the whole experience as he said very you know very early on because lost is you know the experience and i've used that continuously since on the podcast you know do you want to have these conversations about the physics of the sideways do you want to look at all of the books that they reference do you want to think about who you know um, in the previous episode which by this recording hasn't gone up yet but do you want to think about who david actually is and kind of how you know is he real is he not was he real was he not sort of thing and that's all that all comes with the experience that is lost so esteban i actually have you on the show and i'd like to thank you for that because i've gotten a lot of use out of that particular phrase that you said I'm here only to serve. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Back on the island, Saeed is getting ready to leave, and he tells Miles how he's been banished, quote, for being evil, quote. Um, Miles lets him know that the others didn't revive him, though. Saeed was dead for two hours and just sat up, which we talked about a little bit ago. Everyone, others included, were very surprised. Um, Claire then enters already putting her hands up and they aim their guns at her, but Lennon knows or tells for them to not shoot her. Uh, Dogen then comes out and begins speaking to her, but she reminds him that she knows that he speaks English and he should now. She tells them how he Locke, the man in black wants to see Dogen, but Locke can't come in and Dogen will be killed. If he leaves, Claire then suggests sending someone that Locke won't kill but as Claire goes to leave, she's stopped and ordered into the hole. Dogen then wants to see Hurley and Jack, but Lennon has to inform him that they can't be found. As Lennon and some others lead Claire away, Dogen calls for Saeed to follow him. 
And uh, before we get into the kind of Dogen's room scene very briefly, um, I like the fact it was mentioned kind of in an earlier episode, the fact that Dogen actually does speak English. I like the fact that even though, as we mentioned, you know, Claire doesn't get a flashback, there is clearly some sort of history here. And I would guess, Jake, this is kind of the reason that you and Esteban said that you kind of like this version, because even though it's not explicitly said it's very much implied that she actually has more to do than previously yep uh, exactly i mean she kind of comes in with this this confidence you know I, I mean even though she seemed a little nervous when she was talking with with Locke before she comes in with this confidence you know drop the whole uh, you can't speak english act and you know you do this sort of thing so yeah i you know and i have a feeling that's just because she truly you know she does truly believe that the others have their baby so I don't know, she's coming in there kind of strong, like, you know, she's got a mission, she's got a purpose of, of some sort there, and uh, it's it makes her kind of bearable here. Yeah, this is a brave new Claire, and uh, you can definitely tell that she has been through some stuff, and uh, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that, and um, I, I definitely think that she's, of course, fueled by whatever lies Locke has been feeding to her. Um, in terms of who has her baby. So we've seen the same, uh, or Claire going through the same things in the past. Um, whenever she was thinking that they had done something to her baby back in season, I want to say season two or season one. Um, I think it was season two when we had like this whole maternity leave uh, episode. Is that season two? Two. Right. So she actually goes and she's determined to find answers about what was done to her by Ethan in season one. But she was scared back then. Now she's a little bit more confident and she's not going to take, you know, anything from anybody. I gotcha. Uh, We then go to Dogen's room where uh, he uh, where they're talking about Jack and Hurley leaving and why Claire is there, etc. They then talk about the man that's been influencing Claire. Dogen describes him as having been trapped by Jacob, but now being free and not stopping until he destroys everything. He is evil incarnate. Dogen wants Saeed to kill this man and gives him a special looking dagger. But if Saeed gives the man the chance to speak, uh, it's already too late. Saeed reminds Dogen of all the punishment that he's been through and asks why he'd do anything for the others. And Dogen reminds Saeed of his claim of being a good person. This is his chance to prove it. Now, later on, and we'll see it, you know, we'll talk about it kind of more in depth. uh, Locke, man in black, whatever you want to call him, claims that uh, Dogen did all of this purposely, thinking that he, being Locke, would kill Saeed. There is, of course, this special-looking dagger, which I think uh, appears later in the series. But, um, Kev, what do you think about all of... Like, do you think that Dogen was just setting Saeed up here? Well, I think one way or the other, he was going to get what he wanted, right? Because he obviously doesn't want to kill anybody. I do think Dogen is a good man at heart. You know, his scale balances towards good in his words. Um, But he sends Saeed out. He obviously wants to get rid of Saeed. He would prefer for the man in black not to be around. Uh, so one of, one of the other is going to work. Either Saeed's going to accomplish the goal that he set him out with his magic dagger for somehow, or uh, he's going to try to, and the man in black's going to eliminate Saeed. So, you know, it's 
It does. Kind of well, this harkens to a. Uh, this, this goes back to a question that gets brought up every now and then on the on the show. Is like how much do Jacob's followers know about various things on the island and in Jacob's life? So like, does Dogen, for instance, he he must not know the full extent of the candidates and the Man in Black. So he's thinking he's hoping that one of two things is going to play out. Either Saeed kills Man in Black, but he does not realize that it's not that easy just to kill the Man in Black. Or he thinks the man in black is going to kill Saeed. And he has no idea, though, that the man in black just can't kill a candidate like that. Like, they kind of have to kill each other. So, again, well, it's, it, it kind of goes back to Jacob not, must not have informed Dogen of that much. You know, but, but some see, things, obviously, to run the temple, but not everything. But see, for me, it's more like, okay, so right now you know, they did this test and Saeed's scale tips towards evil. They say he's been claimed. It's happened to one other person, which is Claire. We know that Claire seems to basically be under the spell of the man in black or Locke or whatever you want to call him. Was there never the thought process that basically if you put Saeed, who is now evil, in front of what you're calling evil incarnate, that he might also kind of fall under the spell and like be on his side instead of those other two things which you guys just said? Like, did that never like Dogen's a good man, I think, like Kev said, he doesn't necessarily seem like a smart man, though. Well, I think that's where Dogen's line of if you if you let him talk, he wins, you know, like you're already lost. Because I think right. he knows that the man in black probably has a little bit of a silver tongue and can convince people to do things. So he was hoping, you know, Saeed would kill the man in black before the man in black uh, convinced him to to join him, to, to well, convince Saeed to join him. Well, this is why I think that this particular episode is, you know, problematic. Because, it, it, again, it, it's almost like we're dealing with another Ben Linus. Like, whatever he's saying, we don't know what's true and what's not. So, in this case, I just think that the writers were like, throwing stuff out there to see what's stuck. And it's just very inconsistent to me. Like, I understand that perhaps Dogen believes that maybe one of the candidates has the power, if you will, to kill the Men in Black. Let's say that that's one theory. But then further down the season, we get to find out that that's not truly the case, that something has to be done first in order to kill uh, or actually to make him mortal again, which is to, you know, I guess, unplug the whatever cork down there uh, in the cave. So if you're going to put him in front of him and then he's supposed to be claimed, it doesn't, I agree with Paul, it's, uh, why would you put, those two together but then again we don't have any other indication from previous seasons uh, as to what it truly means to be claimed i don't think that the man in black claimed claire i don't think that claire is under his spell i just think that she's just believing whatever it is that he's promising her because she has nowhere else to go she has nobody else to trust in terms of you know who's going to give her back her son and then uh, now that I'm saying this, probably the only time that we can think about somebody being claimed or sort of possessed by the men in black would be Rousseau's crew, that they all went mad. That would be the only instance if we can, in which we can say, well, maybe this is them being possessed by the men in black. Yep. But if that's the case, why wouldn't Locke or fake Locke or Flog, as I like to call him, just take over Saeed? and kill everybody from the inside already. You know, it's just, it doesn't make much sense unless 
there are, as they have, you know, mentioned several times, rules that you need to follow in these things. And that's fine. Having rules are fine. And I agree. Like, you know, there is because that's part of the whole thing of like, is Saeed dead? And that's what what Kevin and I mm-hmm. were saying earlier about like, we, you know, we don't we didn't quite get the fact that it had been two hours or whatever. So there is that thing. And I and I think that's right where, you know, it was maybe they were trying to see if the man in, if he was the man in black now, because we know that he takes over bodies and things like that. But I don't know. It's just like the rules are fine. And I get like, you know, Jacob can't kill man in black man in black. Can't kill Jacob. Ben and um, Widmore say that there are rules between the two of them and whatever. Sometimes though, the rules as like a mystery element are fun, but sometimes when it gets too complicated like this and one episode later in the season seems to negate an episode previously and like you had more than enough time to plan this. That's where I'm like, well, if you had explained the damn rules, maybe we would all understand the damn rules. <laughs> I agree. And I was actually going to bring that up because I think you and I, and I know you've had it with other conversations with other people about the fact the rules are inconsistent, never fully explained. That's mm-hmm. like the flash sideways for you. Sometimes yeah. inconsistent, never fully explained. And that's uh, where people definitely, I think, get upset with the show. And if you think about it too much, you get upset with the show a little bit too. <laughs> Yeah, I just think that perhaps the rules are just made up and not made up in the sense that they were made up as we go. It's just that they weren't really effective rules. Like, for example, this whole thing about Jacob not being able to kill the men in black and the men in black not being to kill Jacob. I don't think that that was truly the case. And that has actually been one of my beliefs throughout the show. And I still, you know, hold on firmly to that. I think that they could have killed each other, but they had like this implicit rule between them that they couldn't kill each other. But I think that they could have killed each other. That is my belief. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, nobody likes that. No, no, no. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree necessarily, but I just don't. I mean, Jake, I don't care what you think. I only care about what Kevin and Paul have to say here, but unless you agree with me, of course, because I do like the, you know, to listen to that. I think Paul was kind of pausing for me because I haven't said anything in a while. But uh, I don't I don't necessarily agree or disagree. I, I was just sitting here kind of making a face like, eh, like, you know, kind of like Seinfeld over here. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. And I think that's kind of, you know, it's intentionally left to your interpretation. I will say when we talk about uh, or they talk about the man in black claiming people, I do think that's more of – a thing of claiming the bodies that I think they're aware that he can claim the dead bodies. And that's more what it was referring to. It wasn't uh, anything under his influence, uh, per se. Um, if it was, then yeah, sure. Like, okay. Saeed, Claire, Ben are people who have kind of turned dark per se. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's, that's what claiming was in reference to. No, like, I mean, Esteban said it before, I don't, I don't think claimed, I don't think Claire would be claimed. I think she's just under, you know, a kind of a different influence. Um, I don't think Ben was claimed either because it kind of goes to that whole, they were surprised that the pool room or spring or, or water or whatever was, you know, dark now. And so I think that when Ben was taken there, it was, you know, clear it was you know like you would think water would be and so it healed him 
it's just you know for whatever reason be it jacob is dead or what have you the the spring was you know not clear anymore and i think that may have had something to do with it but i definitely think claimed would be like we've seen with you know man in black being christian yemi things like that he literally claims bodies not hey you're under my power now but you're also still kind of alive and a separate thing yeah and i feel like dogan was aware of that but may not have been aware of candidates or candidacy as it were well, but also he can no longer claim bodies because that was one of the rules that one Jacob is dead. Now he's stuck in this form, which is Locke's form. So he can no longer claim dead bodies. I mean, if that were the case, you know, one could make the argument that technically, since Saeed is dead, he could also claim his body. So, again, this whole claiming thing is very, you know, flawed to me, in my opinion. And like Jake said earlier, this is just one of those things, whether it be the rules or the sideways or whatever. And, you know, I, I gave credit to Esteban earlier. I'm going to give credit to Jake about something that he said uh, kind yes. of early on in the series. And, I've, and again, it's something I've used consistently about the fact that this is almost the problem with doing a thing like this is this rewatch is the critical thinking rewatch of the show. And part of this whole podcast is breaking down things like this. And when you break down things like this, it all kind of falls apart, which is really not good because as I've said, most everybody I've had on for season six so far doesn't necessarily like season six. I'm not saying season six is my favorite, but I mean, I've never personally, I can't think of like ranking them. I know season five is probably my favorite, but that's for, you know, very personal reasons. But, you know, it's, I don't know, like season six is upon like critically thinking about it. As I said, it's not the best because there are a lot of inconsistencies. There are a lot of things where, you know, there was a limited amount of time, but they threw way too much at us and certain characters, you know, things seemed out of, well, character for them and, and all that sort of stuff. So it, it is kind of a, an, a problem, I guess, with doing this is you have conversations like this, which are fun. There's no one I'd rather have conversations with than you guys and everybody else I've had on the show. But it almost I don't want to say it makes me like the show any less because it doesn't. But it's almost like, huh, can't believe I never thought about that you know that in depth before, you know, and it's, it's all, I don't want to say it's a bummer, but it is kind of a bummer. It is. So I just like to go back to my, eh, forget about it, Jake, you know, just continue on. I'm just like, yeah, I can see the inconsistencies, but I'm going to continue on. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been, you know, down for a lost rewatch and, you know, watching this episode, which is probably the only season six episode that I've watched in a long, long, long time. I thought to myself, well, number one, this episode should be called, you know, let down instead of sundown. (laughs) And then I should just skip to, you know, the end. And that's it, because that is the only one that I truly enjoy because all the episodes, well, maybe not, maybe that that's not true, but you know, it's the only one that I can remember fondly because I kept thinking, wow, season six, it was not really that great. So I should just skip to the end. And see, I remember being in season six and this is something that, you know, we talked about so far over the course of this recording, but, you know, being in season six and watching it when you don't know what the sideways is, 
you know, mm-hmm. you don't know where the temple storyline is leading and all that stuff going, oh man, this is great. You know, we're going to get more mythology with regards to the temple. We're going to, you know, what the hell is this sideways thing and all this other stuff. But then once it's over and once you go back to watch it, maybe a second time you're still like, huh, you're trying to figure everything out, you know, whatever. But basically third, fourth, fifth time you're watching it over, it's like, yeah, not so great. Mm-hmm. Does, uh, have any of you watched uh, Chronologically Lost? No, It's on I, my to-do list. I, one day I'd like to, but I haven't. Yeah, same. I'm just curious as to how uh, how and when they actually uh, integrate the Flash Sideways. I assume it's Jack closing his eye and then we go to all the Flash Sideways stuff? Yes, I, I remember reading about that and the way they put it is that it's completely at the end. So at the end, it's just basically like, I don't know, let's say like it's probably like 10 episodes worth of Flash Sideways, like all at the end. Okay, so, so I mean, it may be worth watching season six that way. Uh, that way you get all of the island stuff uh, in right. from season six leading up to, uh, you know, Jack's death. And then uh, you just fast forward through nine of those right. flash, <laughs> flash yeah. sideways episodes. Well, speaking of the sideways, we are back there as Saeed is walking the kids to the school bus. They ask their uncle how long he'll be there and they comment how they like when he's there and their mother specifically likes it, too. And as the kids get on the bus, uh, Nadia comes running out to Saeed in a panic. Sometime later, they're walking through the hospital, past Jack specifically flipping through a chart, and get to Saeed's brother, who's been badly attacked. He's being taken into surgery due to a punctured lung and internal bleeding. They think he was mugged, but Saeed knows differently and is going to deal with it. But Nadia tries stopping him from doing anything. She thinks the brother should learn his lesson and Saeed should make sure that the kids are okay. This is one of those things because if I'm not mistaken, he kind of gives Jack, even though Jack doesn't necessarily notice him, he kind of gives Jack almost a double take. And this is just one of those things where upon the first time watching it and even, you know, doing this kind of critical thing, it's one of those, I'm not saying Saeed had his awakening right there. Maybe he, you know, remembered him from the plane or maybe he was just, you know, remembering him or just being like, oh, that is a familiar face, kind of a deja vu sort of thing. But all of the actual Saeed stuff aside, just that teeny tiny brief Jack cameo is the kind of stuff that I really did like in the sideways. I don't know what you guys think, but yeah. It's fan little... service, really, is is all it is. It's And that's essentially what a lot of the sideways was and what we're about to see when they, uh, you know, bring in Kimi and Omar is just a, a bit of fan service. And I'm Me here for uh, it. that. That uh, that that appearance actually puts uh, Jack or Matthew Fox there, the first cast member to appear in 100 episodes, not counting like archive footage. Mr. Lostpedia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was thinking the same <laughs> Since thing. Since we were actually going on about Jack, I was like, oh well, I happen to have this little production note in front of me. Might as well drop it here. <laughs> I I want to say, I mean, I cannot go an episode on one of these podcasts without talking about Juliet. And um, <laughs> so I'm just going to bring her up. So oh, beware. Um, and I just want to say that Nadia is giving me like major Juliet vibes with like that red blouse shirt that she's wearing. And I was almost like, wait, is that the same one that Juliet was wearing, you know, in her last episode at the incident? But it turns out that it's not, but it's very similar. So I just, and I've always 
sort of, um, I don't want to say equate, but they give me like the same vibe, Juliet and Nadia. I really like Nadia's character and um, God knows I'm a Juliet fan. So I just thought it was a pleasant surprise because I didn't remember that particular, um, you know, scene where she's rushing down with, uh, with wearing that shirt. I almost made a Juliet reference earlier uh, when you should have. There's, there's <laughs> uh, never a time not... for a Juliet reference. <laughs> no, I'm not sure you would have liked this one because I was going to bring oh. up how uh, <laughs> when uh, when Dogen goes and gets Saeed and says things have changed. It's a very uh, changing of the mind moment, which is mm. kind of remind me of Juliet. Yeah. I well, mean, you should go back. Have you listened to that episode, that Juliet episode? Oh, it's not a Juliet to... episode, is it? Was that was not a Juliet centric episode? The one where I mentioned why she's always so, um, you know, wishy washy, basically. So I have a pretty compelling argument there. So in this TED talk, I will explain how. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to it, did you say that you have listened to it? I have. I've listened to every episode. I'm sure Paul will be happy to hear that. I'm very oh, happy wow. to hear that. I'm also going to comment on the fact that I did make a Juliet reference earlier and Esteban didn't pick up on it. And I'm kind of sad about that, though. What was that? I said about how, you know, in terms of when do the sideways start? When do they not? Right, 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 right. And I said about, you know, something happens with Juliet, but it actually doesn't happen until later and whatever. And you didn't even pick up on it. And that makes me sad. <laughs> no, I did pick up on it. <laughs> Uh, and there's uh, we get into it later when Dogen tells his, his backstory and how he came to the island, but there's a comparison to be made there with Juliet as well. Correct. Yep. Back on the island, Saeed is walking through the jungle, and here is Kate. They greet each other, but Saeed isn't or can't really uh, fill her going to fill her in on what has happened. We stay on Kate, however, and she goes to the temple. She and Miles exchange words about Sawyer and how he didn't let Kate stay. He also tells Kate how Claire is back, and I love Miles saying, like, that hot Australian chick or whatever. Uh, I always think it's funny how he just describes people, almost in a way like Sawyer would. Um, and this, But this is something that Kate is interested in, the fact that Claire is back. And, you know, it's just, you know, to me, the Sawyer thing, we got him a lot in kind of the previous episodes. You know, he's not here. As uh, Jake said, even though Matthew Fox is here, he's not really in this episode. And that is one of the things that I've always liked about some of these early episodes of a season is it focuses on, uh, you know, one group of people over here, one group of people over here. And even though we don't get Sawyer, we get a lot of Sawyer, like we get this little, well, not a lot, but we get this little bit of Sawyer talk. We get his name mentioned a few more times. So it does kind of help keep track, of course, for us as, you know, giant fans we don't need that but i do like that and you know kev mentioned fan service earlier and i feel like that's almost what it is it's not necessarily fan service it's more casual fan service yeah and this uh this the only lol moment of the the episode here is when miles is talking to kate and miles basically says oh you know he told you off and told you to scram didn't he and uh Kate's uh, look and response to that, or non-response, as it were, uh, kind of made me laugh a little. Being uh, Miles has spent a lot more time with Sawyer than she has, so he he knew how that was going to go. Yeah, 
back with Saeed in the jungle, he hears the noise of the monster and sees Locke come out of the jungle. Uh, he greets Saeed, but Saeed pierces him with the dagger, but nothing happens, and Locke asks why Saeed would do that. A moment later, Locke takes the dagger out, and it doesn't have any blood on it, and offers it to Saeed. Uh, he and Saeed talk about what or who he is. Saeed mentions how Dogen told him Locke was evil incarnate. Locke then talks about how he feels sorry for Saeed because Dogen wouldn't even come out and face Locke himself, so he sent Saeed thinking Locke would kill Saeed, which we talked about earlier, and that's something that Dogen also won't do, which is kill Saeed. But Locke simply wants Saeed to take a message back to the temple folk. In return, he'll give Saeed anything he wants, which Saeed says is impossible because the thing he wants died in his arms. And in parentheses, I wrote, is that Shannon or Nadia? Yes. Okay, Jake, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. that's what I said. I said it's it's left ambiguous because 99.99999% of the lost community is like, oh, yeah, that's Nadia. But according to the end, it's Shannon. But they, yeah, they had both died in his arms and they don't specifically say who it is here. And I feel like it's, think... you're almost supposed to think it's Nadia just because she's in the flash sideways of this episode yep. as well. And because most you... people believe that they should be together. But you know, again, <laughs> the, the end says otherwise. I was just going to say that, that it's I mean, most people would think that it's just because we're seeing Nadia like a, a, a scene ago, you know, but. And we haven't heard from Shannon in God knows how long. So that's why our mind goes immediately there. But it, it, it's tricky. I, I want to personally believe that it's Shannon because, th again, this is not about um, what is what the character wants to me. And that's what the whole show has been about is what it's meant to be for the character. So to me, the reason why Shannon is at the end at the church with Saeed is because it was meant to be that way, not necessarily with uh, Nadia. God knows that he tried with Nadia. God knows how many times and it didn't work out. Yeah, but I mean, granted, they didn't try that many times, but Jack and Kate tried how many times and they were kind of each other's, even though for Kate, it was very much Aaron and Claire as well. And for Jack, it was his father and certain things with Locke and whatever. But for the two of them, it was also the two of them, and they tried it, and it didn't work. But yet they were also, as people would say, no Avengers pun intended, they were endgame. Well, because it's not about how – I understand that you had to try and – or they tried and maybe things didn't work out. But again, it's just about how things were supposed to be or how things were meant to be. I gotcha. What do you, what do you think, Kev? What do you think of the whole Nadia-Shannon thing? Well, I kind of said it earlier. Uh, I came into this episode, and it's been my belief for years that it should have been Nadia uh, with Saeed in the end. However, this episode gave me a little perspective on that. So I, it, I'm not saying it completely switched me, but I understand it a little more now uh, that it was ended up being Shannon. And also, if I could play devil's advocate for a second, I don't necessarily believe this, but it's worth discussing. Hadn't when Dogen said, don't let him speak to you or it's already too late, obviously Locke gets out the high Saeed or whatever he says, two, two words before Saeed stabs him. Do we think that was a literal meaning of don't let him speak to you? And if, if you could get to him before he says anything, then it might have worked. Or Ah, that's very good you bring that up. I actually or, started writing that note. Go on, Kevin, sorry. Yeah, was it, as Jake said earlier, that 
Dogen just knew, oh, he's a bit of a silver, silver-tongued smoke monster, and that he'll turn you regardless uh, if you if he if you if you listen to him. Put it that way. Which which one is it? I did start right. actually on that train of thought. Like when I wrote, if you could see my notes, it's I put. MIB spoke first, did Doget, and then like I realized, no, I crossed it out, and that's when I put the note in that, no, I think he was just more of a convincer, uh, manipulator. Yeah, I think somebody mentioned it, like, while we were recording this precise episode. I can't remember his name. I can't even remember his face. Um, I'll but, send you um, pictures. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do, I mean, I, again, I'm trying to see both sides. I want to think that perhaps Dogen does believe that you cannot allow the man in black to speak to you first, otherwise you won't be able to kill him. But going back, every time that we see somebody who's in a, let's say, position of authority from the others, from the other's side, you know, we've seen it with Ben, we've seen it with Richard, we've seen it with Juliet, we've seen it now with Dogen. We always, the first time we encounter them, we always believe that they have all the answers. But it turns out that all of them are in the dark. They really don't know what's going on because they have always been doing whatever Jacob told them to do. So perhaps this is coming back from Jacob. Jacob is the one letting them know, listen, you cannot allow this guy to talk to you because otherwise you won't be able to kill him. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to add up. I don't think that the fact that the men in black spoke first... Um, it's an indication that Saeed cannot kill him. I don't think that's true. Personally, I think that's the case as well. I think it was more of a, basically, he if he talks, he will eventually convince you, whether it's a short amount of time or a long amount of time. But I think that the writer specifically put that in, where Locke gets those two words out, just so that some people... You know, so that we'd be sitting here talking about it almost 10 years years later. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But uh, for the record, I do agree with pretty much uh, everything Esteban said. I was just playing devil's advocate because it makes for a better podcast. No, I I mean, I appreciate that. In the flash sideways, Saeed is fixed. Okay, so what do we think? It's in my opinion, if it's more than X amount of dollars, it's a vase. Or is it a vase? How, how much? What would you value this? <laughs> <laughs> that looked like some pure one import stuff. That, that was no. <laughs> okay, so Saeed is fixing a vase. It's it's fictional anyway because not only fictional in terms of it's a TV show, but it's fictional because like like we said, it's, the sideways. It's a prop. It's yeah. just a little prop too. <laughs> the sideways doesn't kind of really matter. Um, Somebody probably owns that prop. If I if I look through my little auction book, it's probably in there. Yeah. Oh. Um, but Saeed is fixing a vase when Nadia comes in and Saeed mentions how he and the kids had an unfortunate, uh, incident with, uh, one of the boomerangs. He told the kids that their daddy had an accident and that he'll be fine. Nadia gives him the update that her husband, of course, will be fine. They discuss the loan, but she reminds Saeed that it is her husband's responsibility. She then asks Saeed why he pushed her towards his brother instead of choosing her for himself. And he mentions trying to absolve himself of everything he did while in the military and he doesn't deserve her. And we kind of covered this earlier, but um, the fact that uh, he doesn't deserve her 
and uh, you know we said about time and whatever. And now Esteban, over the course of this, you've said that Nadia is kind of one of your favorites. And the whole Nadia Shannon thing aside, do you think that? just in terms of regular timeline or whatever, do you think Saeed, you know, especially you said not necessarily being a big fan of his character, but being a fan of her, do you think he was deserving of her? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think that Saeed is a bad character. I don't think that he's a bad person. I think that he probably, you know, of course he did bad things in the past and I think that he has a tone for them. However, uh, whenever we see uh, those moments after he got out of the island and he actually got to reconnect with Nadia, they're both very happy. They're both very, you know, um, enjoying life together until that unfortunate moment and when when Nadia dies. So, yeah, I, I think that as long as they were happy, I think that they were both deserving of each other. Just like I think, just like I think that Shannon and Sai were, you know, happy with each other. They, they kept company, you know, to each other while they were on the island. So I definitely do think that they were both deserving of each other. I think that, you know, there's no deserving one person over the other. I don't think that's a thing. Personally. Yeah, and this uh, kind of is, if we want to dig deep into the sideways stuff again, this is kind of uh, Saeed's uh, mental manifestation of this. And so I assume that there is some truth in that where he believed like he ended up hurting her. She got killed essentially because of him and she was a good person and he did not think much of himself. He had these internal struggles. So in his sideways that he kind of built, he doesn't get her. But, you know, it's it's you, you can make the case that he does. But and the, the fact that he didn't put himself with her. I think even goes to make the case more that he does deserve to be with her. And also, I think just in terms of that, like you said, like he, he did kind of build this. And again, that goes into, you know, the physics of the sideways of, you know, who decides what and all this sort of stuff. But it also does like, you know, uh, Esteban said, he's, you know, he's not a bad guy in terms of, you know, as a, as a person, as a character. And it also kind of goes to that as well, because in a way, and this is going to sound bad, but it kind of gives him the out of Shannon because if he had been with Nadia and whatever, and then if he had gotten together with Shannon in the end, it would be like, right, but like it, his sideways self is like together with Nadia or married to Nadia and whatever, but then just because it's, you know, whatever the end is supposed to be, he kind of goes off. And so the fact that she is like taken and unavailable, it almost does kind of make the thing with him and Shannon more possible, I guess, in a certain way. But then it's also half-assed because if, if he was going to go the entire way of saying, I don't deserve her, and that's why uh, Nadia gets pushed to the brother, then why have Nadia clearly still have some feelings for Saeed? I, I, I get why Saeed would have feelings for her, but and it's still like just the... Uh, and again, you know, I, you, tough to say if it that how uh, if the characters themselves build their own flash sideways or what. But you would think if he did have the full ability to uh, push Nadia away into a quote unquote better life, then he would just say cut the tie, you know, cut the feelings out of it. She's going to be with the brother. And that's that because but then instead, it would, because then it would just be him being sad pining over his brother's wife if she's at least kind of sort of slightly pining over him it's not as it's not as sad 
<laughs> well, sure, but like, he must not truly, truly believe that he doesn't deserve Nadia. That there, that must be some sort of little part that is like, well, you know, maybe he can redeem himself in his own flash sideways or whatever, and then he will be good enough, and Nadia will be totally ready to to be with him instead of the brother. It's possible. Maybe he's just clingy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Back on the island, Saeed walks through the temple and goes past Dogen to deliver the message that Locke gave him. Locke wants everyone to join him outside the temple. Jacob is dead, and none of them have to stay anymore. He also talks about how the man, Locke, has been here forever, and they should go with him. They have until sundown. And I got that Family Guy sort of moment where it's like, oh, there it is, they said it, they said the title of the thing. <laughs> um... <laughs> And if they stay, they will die. Uh, I don't know if we want to kind of talk about that brief message or go right into the whole Kate Claire thing. But um, I thought that was, you know, very ominous message, but also, you know, very straight to the point. And the one thing I like about the man in black is that he as much as he, you know, doesn't tell everybody any like everything, he also doesn't kind of pull punches either he's just kind of straight to the point of like if you stay here you will die what do you think kev uh and in fact that was uh, an earlier note i had that i kind of skipped over but uh when he's talking to claire outside the temple uh she he tells her i always do what i say and uh, obviously I, I put a lot of value in someone being a man of their word and he does you know for his faults seem to be that uh I went into this episode thinking, uh, you know what? There's always question as to whether who is truly the the good and the bad uh, between Jacob and Man in Black. But uh, by the end of this episode, it does kind of get cleared up when you know you find out he's a cold-blooded mass murderer. See, now that's funny you say that because, like, by the end, when I, I remember originally watching it, and I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast about how going into the season, you know, Damon and Carlton and some of the other people would say, like, oh, just because this guy wears white and this guy wears black doesn't mean that one is good and one is, you know, the one that you think is good is going to be good and the one that you think is evil is going to be evil and whatever. And, you know, we don't know the man in black story. We don't really know Jacob's story. We've only ever heard them say Jacob and they kind of praise him, but we don't really know what's going on with the man in black or whatever. And just in terms of mythology, that was kind of one of the things going through my mind a lot. And almost by the end of the episode, as much as, you know, he is, you know, he does kill people just because like, Oh, you won't be on, basically you won't play on my team. So I'm going to kill you. I kind of felt on the man in black side here because he is a man of his word. And we, there's been too much, kind of wishy-washiness with Jacob and, you know, the people that he has by his side over the course of this, you know, the series, whether it be Ben who, you know, did or did not know things, whether it be Richard or Ilana who did or did not know things and they won't reveal those things. Maybe that's part of it as a fan. I just wanted to know, but it was more man in black was like, by this point, by the end of the episode, at least I remember thinking man in black, you know, he wants to know what the, he wants to leave. You know, and he thinks that everybody else should leave too, and that's his goal. And if you're not for his goal, then you're against his goal and whatever. And as much as it is terrible that he just killed people straight up, 
I remember being like, you know what? He knows what he's doing. He seems to claim that Jacob has kept him captive here and whatever. He just wants to go home. I was kind of on his side by the end of this episode. And this is something I got to praise the the powers that be on this on the show. They've done it. The whole kind of blending of what's good, what's bad, who's bad, who's good. Um, you know, think back. I remember this interview they did before season three with the uh, Carlton and, and Damon. They said uh, season three is going to be, uh, you know, definitely about the others. And it's going to be an us versus them. And then they said, but who's us and who's them? It's a matter of perspective. And then that kind of got talked about deep into season three. It was a conversation Desmond and Charlie had where Desmond said something along the lines of, hey, you know, by my count, you've killed more of them than they've killed of you. And, and I love that. And now it's the same kind of conversation about Jacob and Man in Black. Well, who's good? Who's bad? Who's got the right intentions or the wrong intentions for the what reasons, the right reasons, or the wrong reasons? Uh, and yeah, you know, Jacob is, you know, a lot of people on this show definitely agree that he is not as good as we thought he was going to be. You can certainly empathize with the man in black, right? Because his mission is the same as everyone who crashed on that island. They're just trying to get off that island, right? So in in that sense, he's kind of one of them. Uh, his means are obviously a little different. Uh, and you could certainly make the case that Jacob is a douchebag. I don't know if he's inter- inherently evil. Um, but if you want to, again, play devil's advocate... He brought everyone on the Black Rock to the island, technically. He brought everyone on Oceanic 15 to the island, technically. Most of those people died. And his body count, if you count those as being caused by him, is probably higher than the Men in Blacks. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah. I mean, you may have flipped me back already. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that we're, again... Again, the fact that we're sitting here talking about this a decade later just goes to prove how good of a show it is. Absolutely. I wanted to make a point about uh, something that, you know, Paul, you mentioned earlier, and I actually wanted to, you know, uh, ask you guys what you, well, what's your opinion about it? Because you mentioned that you actually, you know, respected, I guess, a little uh, the man in black right now because he was actually following through Uh, following through with his word and he was actually going to do what he had said he was going to do and then he just said that he actually does what he's going to do so do you guys believe that he had some way some power some magic force whatever you want to call it to actually give Saeed and Claire what they wanted Claire wanted her baby but I don't think that the man in black actually knows where Aaron is. And then he's promising Saeed that he's actually going to give her whatever it is that he wants. So do you guys think that he's that powerful or he's actually just lying to them to keep, you know, them on, their, on his side? My personal thing is the theory goes that if he had escaped, then evil would have escaped into the rest of the world and basically everyone would die. He says to Ben later on that Ben can be the leader of the island, but the island will be at the bottom of the ocean. So he was going to keep his word. Ben could absolutely 100% be the leader of the island, but it's going to be at the bottom of the ocean, however you want to take that. My thought was Shannon is dead. Nadia is dead, if you want to think that Saeed was referring to Nadia. 
How could he reunite Saeed with that person? Kill them. In regards to Claire and the baby, I'm not 100% sure. I think he did have an inkling or have some sort of idea as to where Aaron was. But again, if he got out, the theory goes that he, you know, maybe he didn't think it or whatever, but the theory goes that he would have been evil and basically destroyed the world. Therefore, the baby and Claire would have ended up being dead anyway, but at least they'd be dead together. And that's kind of my horrific thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's very gin and son, if you think about it they both died together so i I mean i guess they were reunited in death honestly yeah he yeah there was some sort of dark twist to anything he said that so that yes he he was a man of his word doesn't mean it's the word you want you know yeah very much like ben yeah Mm -hmm. and you you pretty much summed up my thoughts there Paul. So I wasn't going to add anything to it, but it was like, yeah, say you'll see them again, but you'll both be dead. And uh, for Claire, we, I think he did have full intentions. Like if he leaves, Claire leaves. And if assuming they leave together, then Claire can get back to Aaron somehow. Yeah. So Kate is walking through the temple when Lennon stops and asks when she got back and if Sawyer and Jin are there. She wants to know about Claire and pushes him against the wall to get her answers. I absolutely love that moment with her where he's like, how about you tell me what I want to know? And she's just like, listen, you know, strong Kate. I mean, I know, you know, whatever your thoughts on Kate are just that moment. I perfect, uh, you know, I kind of like it. Uh, a moment later, she is led into the room with the hole where Claire is heard singing Catch a Falling Star. Once again, a callback to her character. They talk, Kate and Claire, and Claire is surprised that Kate is there, and Claire mentions the others having Aaron, but Kate confirms that she has had Aaron, took him off the island, and raised him. She describes how good of a little boy he is and how she came back to reunite Claire and Aaron but Claire comments how she doesn't want to be rescued or need to be rescued. Claire is very creepy as the others are trying to take Kate away, and Claire reminds Kate that he is coming and they can't stop him. Um, again, not, you know, a Claire flashback. I feel like we get a little bit more of her character, though, kind of each scene that we see her in. Um, and I know you said this earlier, you and uh, Esteban said this earlier, Jake, but... Um, what do you think here, you know, kind of the callbacks and even just the reference to the fact that um, an episode or two prior to this, she said to Jin, if she found out that Kate actually had taken Aaron, she would kill Kate. But now she has that information confirmed to her by Kate herself, but doesn't seem to care that much, at least right now. Well, you know, we know going forward that she does actually care about that. She doesn't forget about it. She ends up... Uh you know, making a run and attacking Kate uh, later on. So uh, just something she was holding on to as she was, you know, stuck at the bottom of a hole at that moment. Um, If you're referring to the callback to the Catch a Falling Star, God, I hate that song. And uh, not that I knew it prior to Lost, but now that Lost is over, I'm like, good God, that's all they got for like Aaron and Claire. Like if Aaron or Claire is going to be in the scene, that that song just, uh, I don't know. They're like under contract. Uh, it's got to be played. It's got to be sang. I don't know what it is, but whoever did that song royalties, man, they are just drowning in royalties right now. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, no, that drives me nuts. But again, though, no, I, I did still think this was a better Claire appearance 
again, she's got that mission. You know, she just wants to be reunited with, with Aaron. She is under the impression up until a certain point, the others have her. So, uh, she's not freaking out too much, but, uh, and then once she gets that, that reveal of, of Kate's got Aaron, I said it, it definitely something clicks in her and she, she doesn't forget it as we see. And, and you, you just know she's not going to forget it. Yeah. I definitely think that there's a reaction from Claire when mm-hmm. Kate, you know, I, I disagree with you there, Paul. I mean, there's clearly a reaction. And I think that if the situation was a little bit different, meaning she wasn't stuck in a hole, she would definitely be, you know, kicking Kate's ass, but that's not what happens. So, or that's not in the position that she's in at that particular moment. Yeah. And there's just bigger fish to fry right then and there. Exactly. Uh, but, um, mostly just what stood out to me is just great performances here from both, uh, Emily and Evie. Oh, is that you're on a, you're on a, a, a nickname basis with her now, huh? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I have a little bit of a Sawyer complex going on here. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> a bit later, Saeed is walking through the temple courtyard once again. They got a lot of use out of that set. Good job for them. Um, everyone is freaking out, but Lennon is trying to calm them all down and chastises Saeed for causing a panic, but Saeed was merely delivering a message. Cindy and some of the others are heading out and Lennon tries to get them to stay, but to them, Jacob is dead, so there's no reason to stay anymore. And they also believe they're not safe there, but Lennon tries convincing them that the message wasn't true. I want to ask very briefly, you know, there's this whole thing of, uh, you know, the me- in the message it was Jacob is dead and, and they kind of say like Jacob's dead. There's no reason for us to stay. It's been brought up and, you know, I, I know we don't necessarily want to get too much into it, but kind of is that the others just existence is just kind of live on this, you know, incredibly peaceful island where, you know, these great things happen. No one really gets sick and basically just praise this mysterious island figure, Jacob, and then that's kind of your existence, you know, maybe torture some people who happen to come onto your Island every once in a great while. And so now Jacob's dead. So like, okay, we don't have to stay on this Island anymore. Is that kind of it? What? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't quite get it. Um, I mean, that would not be me. Like if you told me, listen, we're going to put you in an Island. You don't have to go to work. I mean, you can wake up at whatever time I would Jacob. Yeah, sure. He's my God. Now that Jacob's gone, it was like, you know what? I'll praise to whatever next guy is going to tell me that I don't have to go to work and wake up early and all that stuff. Even though I'm pretty sure there's still work at the island, but, you know, you can probably just sneak off and, you know, go to the beach or something. At least that would be me. I would get basically kicked off the island now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't last very long there. But I don't know. I think they were all brainwashed at, at some point. We still don't know specifically to what degree, but we have seen the others experiment with like brainwashing and, and, and things like that. And for some reason, whenever uh, Jacob is taken out of the equation, it, it's, I mean, for most of them, they still, some of them held on to their faith, but some of them were just like, you know what, I'm out. I mean, yeah. even think of like Richard Al, you know, after Jacob died, he went through his little crisis too, where he was just like, oh my God, you know, I was lied to by that man. Like, it's almost, I don't want to say kept prisoner, but in a way, like, 
kept and a little bit prisoner. And that's the thing is you would think for that reason that more people would end up going to the side of the man in black because he, you know, he is claimed to have been a prisoner of Jacob or whatever. But like Richard still stays true to no, the man in black is evil and whatever. So it's kind of, you know odd to me that some of them i mean obviously they didn't necessarily think they were imprisoned they for whatever reason felt that they were on the side of good and i get that but it's just kind of odd to me that certain ones you know like i said like richard specifically since you brought him up jake the fact that you know he wouldn't have gone over to somebody who seemed to have a similar opinion to him and i think that there's i mean there's some a truly beautiful concept there because we see people following these two, let's call them individuals, Jacob and the men in black, believing that they are almost gods. But we, as the viewers, you know, we, we later on, we understand that they're not truly gods. They're not perfect. They actually were human. They were actually, again, and I know I've said it several times, and I've said it probably every single podcast that I've been on, they were flawed. So obviously they had plans, but they were not perfect plans. They had little details, little mistakes here and there. So I understand why people were following them. And then they get to find out that they were not perfect, you know, this whole time. Well, let's call it what it is and call it a cult. (laughs) Pretty much. yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's what it is, and you take these people who I assume, if we go, if we judge by our main cast, um, people who uh, probably did not have the best situation in their old lives. Uh, so you bring them in and you you show them this this way of living and say, isn't this better? You know, and eventually, whether you believe it initially or not, you probably do uh, start to believe it. And this stuff happens in real life. So I don't find that uh, very hard to believe at all. Oh, especially if you got a mystical island to back you up. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. People are joining left and right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that was uh, the, the entire um, point at one time was uh, Widmore wanted to, uh, to claim the island, more or less, and, and bring people there. And that's not what the island or Ben or Jacob or whatever wanted, right? Yeah. Uh, just very briefly, because I forgot to say this uh, at the end of that scene, Miles tries asking Saeed if they're leaving, and Saeed says that they're not going quite yet. Uh, we do then go to the sideways again, where Saeed is walking down the street and gets stopped by a car, asking Saeed to join them. It is Omar, Kimi's basically second-in-command, once Omar threatens the children, Saeed joins him. Sometime later, he's being led through the kitchen of a restaurant. Kimi appears and offers to make Saeed some eggs. After some back and forth about this, Kimi gives up and mentions, uh, obviously, but in a roundabout way, being the one that Saeed's brother borrowed money from and, and was the one that... Uh, you know, kind of attacked him, uh, the brother. And he and Saeed go back and forth about what the brother owes and how Kimi is still owed more. But Saeed is sick of this pretense and attacks Omar and Kimi's other men, and he shoots Kimi. 
Suddenly a loud banging is heard from the freezer. Saeed opens it and Jin is tied up there and Jin doesn't speak English. And Kev, I'm going to kick it over to you because in our group chat, you specifically sent a message about Kimi and his <laughs> eggs. And I'm sorry I didn't necessarily write too many notes, so I figure this is um, a scene that you are heavily invested in not just because it's kimi but because it's food i know you're a big foodie and you know you specifically <laughs> sent uh, us this little bit so i'm going to kick it over to you now yeah I, I enjoyed chef kimi here and i specifically <laughs> would like to know how good those eggs actually were he says he makes good eggs and uh there's also a uh, behind the scenes kind of featurette uh on kimi and and omar kind of goofing around throughout this scene uh it's pretty funny uh, you find it on youtube or the DVDs, you know, if you want to do the stuff legally. Uh, but yeah, I did enjoy seeing Kimi. And this leads me to one of the questions I wanted to ask. Uh, we kind of brushed it over earlier. Is that, is this everybody's kind of purgatory flash sideways? Or is it just the main characters that they're building for themselves? And you really have to ask yourself that. Because here you have Saeed essentially killing, what was it, three people? Uh, so I don't think this would be their flash sideways. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what we lean towards this being their own, uh, uh, mental construction. And that in itself brings up a very good question of does everyone experience flash sideways or is it just for kind of our losties here? You know, um, that's, you know, that might be a little too heavy for this particular topic, but, um, going to answer your question, I like to think it's just a matter of because they say like you you likened it almost to a dream earlier, and they say that when it comes to dreams, um, you know you can't create any faces. So any face that you ever see in your dream is someone that you have seen at some point in your life. It could just be a random stranger walking down the street that for whatever reason your brain retained that face and they put it on your dream. That's why people you know often appear in your dreams because it's the, the faces that you recognize. And uh, so I think it's just a matter of kind of they needed they needed background characters you know, and, you know, if the most important time of their lives, them being the people that are in the church, then they would, of course, kind of populate that with people that were kind of also there. That being, you know, Kimi and Omar, who played a very vital part of things going on on the island and things like that. And it's more fan service. Yep. Yeah, I think it's more fan service than than anything. Um, I'm trying to think that in the way I would uh, justify their presence in this sideways uh, universe, and I'm referring to Kimi. Uh, is it Kimi or Kini? Kini. Kini? Is it Kini or Kimi? <laughs> With an M as in mother. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, thinking about the cult and Kimmy Schmidt, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, but whatever. That's another story. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I would justify their presence there as... Um, just Saeed maybe getting back at them. I don't think that that's necessarily their sideways universe. Um, or perhaps they just died because they were evil and they were not going to go you know, anywhere good. I, I don't know how to quite explain it. Again, this is not 
the sideways universe, I don't think it's supposed to make much sense. It just serves a purpose. What does make sense is Kimi wearing the Rolex that Jin had. Yes. Yep. Uh, and again, that that Jin thing, you know, obviously setting up more of the future sideways story. Um, you know, it, again, it plays, you know, the fact that he doesn't speak English plays into the whole it's the same but slightly different sort of thing because that is one thing that he has in the sideways is that he still doesn't speak English and whatever. Um, but again, kind of fan service but kind of setting up, you know, just more mystery of what's Jin's story in the sideways. How did he end up here? Uh, back on the island, Dogen is by the spring holding the baseball. Dogen and Saeed talk about Saeed's interaction with Locke and how Locke is coming. Dogen then gives his backstory, that he was a businessman once, his son died, a man offered to bring his son back, but only if Dogen would come to the island and basically manage the temple. This man was Jacob. Uh, Dogen would never be able to see his son again, and he keeps the baseball as a reminder. Locke offered Saeed a similar bargain. Saeed wants to stay as it's after sundown. He then tackles Dogen and drowns him. Lennon enters and comments that Dogen... I took it as he comments that Dogen being alive is what was actually keeping Locke out. I don't know if that's a rules thing or quite how that goes, but it seems like basically another kind of made-up rule that Jacob put in place or, or something like that. The monster noises are then heard, but I know that Esteban right now wants to make a Juliet comparison, so the floor is yours, sir. <laughs> Well, I mean, I would pass it on to Kevin, even though I love talking about Juliet because he's the one who actually brought it up earlier. But yeah, there's a clear Juliet parallel here, you know, being brought to the island and not being able to see your loved ones that you left behind ever again. So, you know, Juliet, wherever you are, we miss you. We love you. And uh, you referenced uh, whether it had anything to do with Dogen's death or not, Paul. Um, I'm going to say yes. Because they specifically mentioned that Jacob gave Dogen a job. Um, what I kind of headcanoned out of that was Jacob protects the island as a whole, right? As long as uh, he's alive, the man in black can't escape, he can't kill him, whatever. Um, I, I, I picture Saeed kind of as uh, the proxy for Ben here, as he takes out Dogen who was doing the job of protecting the temple. So basically, think of it as an island within the island. Uh, and once the temple is no longer protected, and that job hasn't been passed on, um, then the man in black is kind of free to come in. And that's just kind of how I uh, logisticized it <laughs> in my brain. Well, I'm I mean, give... You kind of got to go with that, too, because otherwise the man in black could have stormed it hours prior. Like he, it was specifically once Dogen was gone, then you start hearing the noises and all the action happens. So now whether that's a made up rule or a real rule is a whole different thing. But everyone was under the belief that it, if Dogen is or somebody is in that position of protector of temple, the man in black couldn't enter. And then once that protector is gone, he can enter. On one hand, I would agree, but on another hand, we've seen because like we saw the circle of ash, and we saw when it was when when the temple others found out that Jacob was dead, they put the circle of ash around. And Lennon specifically says it's not to keep any of the any of the 
uh, our losties in. It's to keep him, referring to Locke, out. And we've seen the Circle of Ash as a thing. Bram used it. It was, you know, used uh, supposedly with um, the cabin and things like that. Yeah. So it's just a matter of was it that and somehow, some way, somebody kind of maybe like like when Saeed re-entered the temple area the, the, the within the circle of ash, did he just kick the ash aside so that the man in black could have entered at any point And he just decided, you know what? Sundown by sundown, I will enter. And it just so happened that Saeed kind of took it as that's when I'm going to kill Dogen or he was instructed. That's when he was going to kill Dogen or whatever. Maybe that's my own personal head cannon. Wayne, I know at some point you're listening to this, you have to, decide or come up with your own <laughs> Kevin and I and Jacob all of us we're all waiting um, but because uh, I, 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 I think it could have been that as well it could have just been a matter of because I think personally I think that's what happened with the cabin was that the man in black just convinced someone to just kick the circle of ash aside so that he could take over it at some point and same thing we saw him do it with Bram where he just knocked a pillar into Bram so he would leave the circle of ash and I wouldn't put it past him to just tell Saeed oh yeah by the way just kick that kick a line in that thing of ash but he just kept to his word of sundown I'm going to enter the temple think very possible more fun <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's funny that it's been a few seasons you know and we didn't really know about the temple, but we knew about the walls outside the temple. Um, and I just think it's funny that it's now season six and everybody's like coming in and out like as if they own the place. You know, it's like they're not even knocking. Like Claire came in, like people are getting out. There's, you know, um, going to the lighthouse. It's just I just think it's funny that, you know, now we're here and now everybody can come and go as they please. And, you know, I just think it's inconsistent to say the least. I'm being very critical of this episode. Well, that's well, yeah, but that's season <laughs> six is inconsistency, you know. <laughs> and for, for the record, side note: completely forgot that Saeed was the one who killed both Dogen and Lennon. Same, yeah. Huh. Uh, so the monster noises are then heard. Uh, we were then with Kate. She's trying to get Miles to run as the monster begins attacking people, and she goes to get Claire. Miles goes to a door where Alana bursts in, asking for Jack and Hurley. Son, Ben, and Frank are with her. I feel this is one of those things where it's just way too convenient that they showed up at this exact moment. It seemed like something out of a cheesy action movie. That's just me personally. Uh... They then start to get moving. Ben goes after Saeed. Ilana leads everyone else elsewhere. Kate runs to the hole where Claire is, but Claire tells her how they'll both be much safer here. The monster passes overhead as Kate kind of leaps into the hole. Ben makes his way to the spring, notices Dogen and Lennon are both dead, and tries telling Saeed there's still time. Not for me, replies Saeed. Ilana and her crew then run through the temple as Miles asks Sun about Jin. Nice little fan service kind of moment there. They're all trying to catch up with each other as Ilana is trying to get them out. A passage opens, but we then see Claire, Kate, and Saeed slowly walk outside to join Locke and the others that joined him. The ones that weren't slaughtered by the man in black. Locke then begins to lead them away. And that is my final note for the episode. Saeed's smile uh, when he <laughs> sees Ben and Ben's reaction. Uh, gold. 
going yeah. hungry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead, finish. No, go ahead, finish. No, I just want to know. I mean, I know they had more plans for her, but uh, how does Alana know so much? Like, she shows up right at the right right moment. She knows everything that's going on. Like, they really needed to explore her character a, a little deeper. Well, they should have just went with their original plan of she's Jacob's daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I would have probably uh, been more uh, inclined to believe that. Yeah, what I wanted to say earlier, um, it's, you know, piggybacking on one of your comments about uh, Saeed's smile. I think I have certain images or certain scenes from the show that I, I get really, uh, I don't know, I, I really fixate on some creepy uh, scenes, and those are the ones that actually stick with me the longest, and that's one of them, and the other ones are... Um, back in season two, when they have Ben locked in the uh, in the armory, and then he hears Locke, he listens to uh, Locke slamming. I don't know. I think it was like cereal or something, or like a like a cup. And then he smiles, very pleased with himself because he has caused doubt in Locke. That's one of them. And then the other one I want to say is season five, or perhaps season six, like probably LAX, um, when. Locke is actually talking to Ben at the foot of the statue and you can almost see this transformation in Locke like he's going from good to evil so this is one of those scenes when you see that's just great acting and I think perhaps them three are one of the best or the the three best actors that the show had male characters at the very least Um, I think they were great Locke, Ben and, and Saeed I could agree yeah, I wouldn't disagree. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. But that, guys, was the end of the episode. As I said earlier, and, you know, I'll just quickly say it here. Um, by the end of this one, I was kind of convinced, as much as Kev said, that, you know, Man in Black was a cold-blooded killer. I did, uh, to again use his word, I did empathize with the Man in Black. And, uh, you know, like you guys even said, you know, whether you want to refer to it as a cult or just, uh, hey, he said he could get us off of this island. Hey, we felt trapped by Jacob and all of these rules and everything as well. You know, I felt, man, and by this point to me, whether it be talking with Saeed or Claire or Sawyer in previous episodes or what have you, I felt like Man in Black kind of presented his argument, at least up until this point, fairly enough that it made sense that I'm like, yeah, you know what? I probably would have sided with him too. And maybe just based off of pre-season interviews, I was kind of inclined because of ways that I read into certain things. But by the end of this episode, I, I was almost fully on Team Man in Black. Um, but again, I know we kind of covered that a little earlier. But that is kind of the, the last thing that I specifically have for this episode. Oh, I, I'd have been out of that temple too. Best believe. <laughs> Same. Me too. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we're going to finish up here, I'm going to do my thing real quick. Uh, Sundown originally aired March 2nd, 2010. It's written by and directed by uh, three names, which I was not familiar with at all. So I had to do a little IMDb digging. Uh, written by Paul 
Bizuski, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and Graham oh, Rowland. Oh, wait, 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 really quick. That Paul whatever works on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, correct? Yes, he wrote six episodes of Lost. He wrote 11 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He created the shelved Marvel's Most Wanted series, but he's also going to be heading up the forthcoming Ghost Rider series for Marvel. Okay, what was the other name? Uh, Graham Roland, who... I want to say he... Sorry, I know I, I always cut you off with these, but I want to say he <laughs> co-wrote The New Man in Charge? Correct. He did three episodes of Lost and The New Man in Charge. He uh, was a producer on Fringe and uh, also was Ooh. the creator of the Jack Ryan show, which I believe was on Amazon last year. Yeah, yeah oh. that's true. Okay. I love Fringe, by the way. Yep. Just side note. Same. Fringe is pretty good, yeah. And who was the and third the name? The director, uh, Bobby Roth, um, directed three episodes of Lost and then uh, basically a career TV director did the uh, the usual suspects that a lot of other Lost directors did. The Hawaii Five-0, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Grey's Anatomy. Uh, and his career actually goes as far back to the original Miami Vice and Beverly Hills 90210 shows. I mean, <laughs> I've seen all of those, um, but... Uh... Again, I was going to say, yeah, that is a name that I'm very familiar with. Um, it's always because, Kev, you and I specifically have this where, like, we like to kind of know that kind of production stuff. So I always like when whether I it's someone I've known or whatever, I always like when you say this because I'm like, ooh, ooh, let me see if I could place this person's name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not familiar with any of them, but, you know, I obviously am familiar with some of their work. Uh, Jake, any other uh, Lostpedia notes before we wrap it up here? Nope, none that are that exciting. All right, well then, if we don't have anything else on Sundown or anything else in general for Season 6, until the next time you guys are on, because of course I'm going to get you on before the end of the series, why don't you let them know where they can find you all around the internet? You can find me across all forms of social media, at seventh power, spell it out, replace the V with a seven. And on uh, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, the handle is Jake LCE. Facebook, Jacob Wolken. I'm following Paul, Clockshelves, Stabon, and uh, Kevin. And if you don't follow me already on Twitter and Instagram, you can do so at STBAN24. And if you do, please unfollow me and follow me back just so I can get that rush. <laughs> Uh, on twitter and instagram i am jpgrb you can follow all of us at clock shelves on facebook instagram and twitter that's c-l-o-c-k-s-h-e-l-v-e-s if you like any of the interaction between the four of us uh all three of these guys have been on not only this show in the past but the other shows Except for Jake has not been on wrestling, but the other two, uh, Kevin and Esteban, both have been on Wrestling Renegades, but everybody's all been on uh, Paul and All and past episodes of Lost with Friends as well. You can find all of those archives at clockshelves.com. Once again, that's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. Guys, thank you so much for being here today with me. We got to cover Sundown, which Esteban, yes, I am going to, in parentheses, put let down in there. But I didn't think this conversation <laughs> was so much of a letdown because I always enjoy talking with you guys. I think we got some great content out of it. Can't wait to talk to you guys more as season six goes on. And I will now end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. <laughs>